Welcome to the Butts and Seeds Podcast, episode number 28. We're so close to that 30 mark. Yeah, I only remember we're at 28 because I know we're two away from the the pay-per-view, and that's 30. Yes, and 30 means? Some sort of shot. Shots. I feel like uh, we just discovered what the shot will likely involve. I don't know if I want to shoot that. We got like a espresso rum liqueur, which is really good, but I don't know if I'd want to shoot it. I like sipping it. Yeah, we'll see. We got a couple weeks till we got to decide that. But today we'll be talking about the April 26th, 1999 Monday Nitro. We're still not doing Thunders because I'm peeking and there's really <laughs> nothing to say about Thunder right now. And we're watching enough mediocre wrestling with Nitro as it is. I don't want to watch more. Tonight we are live. And by tonight, I mean on the April 26th, 1999 from Fargo, North Dakota. I mean, we are live in the time that we're recording it. Oh, hon, you got Arby's all over me. Which what? You have not seen Fargo, so you nope. don't know that quote. <laughs> sure, I decided it was a good Fargo quote, and I went for that one. I haven't watched the show. I've watched parts of the movie. You know, there's more to life than a little money. You know that? No. Make money. Money yeah, now. Yeah, you watched uh, a bit of the first season that I showed you. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, you did not finish the first season. No, I wasn't into it. Really? I remember, the, so I my... I just drifted off. Well, yeah, I drifted off because I wasn't into it. I do remember bits of the movie, because there's a wood chipper involved, right? Yes. I think we also referenced this for um, Pepe. Yeah, okay. Because I was like, we definitely talked about the wood chipper recently-ish. We don't start in Fargo. We start with a graphic, which I actually thought was misspelled at first, and then I looked into it, and it wasn't. On April 20th, 1999, Rick Rude passed away of I, uh a accidental overdose. Oh. We start with a little, a little tribute graphic to him. We never saw Rick on our podcast. However, he was employed literally as of like a few weeks before this date. I know the name. I remember the name. Actually, I saw, I'm wrong. We did see him on this podcast. He appeared in our Barely Legal episode for ECW. Oh, shit. Yeah, he dropped in there for a cup of coffee. Yeah, he was training for a comeback, but had oh. been dealing with a handful of injuries. That's sad. I wanted to kind of end this on a lighter note. Apparently in the see the early 90s or like mid 80s, he was apparently sixth in the world at arm wrestling. Arm wrestling? Yes. Huh. I found that fact and I was like, okay. That's that, interesting. Yeah, that's a pretty cool one. That's, 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 a, that is the definition of a fun fact. Yep. I think the main thing everyone remembers about Rick Rude from around this time is he's the only person to ever appear on Raw and Nitro in the same night because of the tape delay. Oh, and I thought they spelled his name wrong because his gimmick name was Rick Rude. Rude spelled R-U-D-E. Mm-hmm. His actual last name was Rude, spelled R-O-O-D. And sure. I, I thought they spelled it wrong for a minute and I was like, oh, no. okay, that was his real last name. Listen, Stubby Stubby. I, I You're right. I shouldn't put anything past them. I don't really want to get into more detail than that. There is the Eric Bischoff story of him getting kicked out of the funeral. You can look into that on your own time. I don't feel like it's super relevant for our fun show that we try to do. That's for a history podcast. This is just a recap podcast, kind of. What are we? Are we a history podcast? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Calling all this history feels too weighty for some of these <laughs> some of these matches. But we start with something that I don't know if we've had before, and that is a recap package from the previous week's Nitro. I was thinking that. It's like, oh, we're actually trying to remind people of stories and not just pretend stuff didn't happen. However, there are aspects of this show that 
they pretend certain things didn't happen and we'll get to them. <laughs> and we'll actually start with them. I lied in saying we'll get to them because we start at the mental hospital that Ric Flair is at. And do you remember what happened with Ric Flair last week? He got put into the van. Yes. For? The mental hospital. I don't remember. There was paperwork saying Ric Flair would be observed for 72 hours. Oh, I don't remember that bit. It's a week later. And also... Okay, he was observed and he failed. I don't know. Well, apparently on Thunder, they said he was out and back to running the company. Oh, really? So So they have no idea what's happening. No. Also in this segment, the nurse comes in and says, they're not putting on Nitro tonight, but apparently they just do. They put on Nitro anyway, yeah. The main thing to keep in mind for all of these is that it's just a poor one flew over the cuckoo's nest knockoff. It's off. one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but more offensive. I don't think one flew over the cuckoo's nest is, is offensive. Well, personally. this is, I don't remember the movie well enough, but the, I just remember these, these segments with Ric Flair in the mental hospital are real offensive and would never have even been considered in 2021 standards. It's so nonsensical that I don't know if it ever does enough to actually be offensive. I don't think it's coherent enough to be offensive. The idea, it's not a, the, the concept it's not a is well-spirited offensive. idea. Absolutely not. The concept is offensive, but they're not saying like, oh, this person has this disorder and they're slapping their head and acting crazy in the corner. Like that, They're not like going that far with it, but that idea is there. And just the idea existing sucks. Like it's not a good time to watch these. I did know that one of the guys looks just like Nick Swarsden. Which I had to look up, but yeah, he does. You're right. And I'm like, this is 99. He's not famous yet. It might be. (laughs) I don't think so, but uh, Ric Flair does not appear at first. He comes out to someone playing like a recorded version of his theme, which seems to be at about (laughs) 32-bit. They noted, and he says it, he seems to think he's at a high-end hotel, and he's calling his one like sidekick through all this AAA, as opposed to AA. Oh, Okay. I don't, I don't know what AAA is supposed to stand for. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't think they thought of that through. No, they were just trying to make an Arn Anderson joke. But we will, uh, we will return to this. Far too many times. Yeah. Too freaking many times. God. We then go backstage at the arena and J.J. Dillon and Charles Robinson are chatting. And apparently Charles Robinson is now the vice president. Yeah, Charles Robinson, the referee. Yes. The referee is now the vice president as an in, and is in charge of the company. I don't know why Arn's huh? not in charge. Yeah. I, there are a lot of people that should be in charge before Charles Robinson. Well, you're thinking more like in actuality. I'm saying in terms of like, you know, Ric Flair being like, oh, I'm putting this person in charge. Really? You're not going to give it to Arn? I mean, sure. But just in, if you try to apply any logic to this decision, it's not there. Yeah, I'm not going to involve logic in any of uh, the storyline. Making the referee that helped you screw over people, the vice president. It was never established that Rick had a vice president. You can't just be like, this is almost like posthumously being like, oh, well, yeah, he was my vice president. We all knew this, right? Right? It's not in writing anywhere. What? No, that's crazy. Well, apparently it isn't writing. I'm just saying, like, imagine, imagine that like the president died and he didn't have a vice president, but after he died, his son was like. Oh yeah, this person was vice president. I think they're in charge now. There might be more um, legal language about what happens if the president dies. Okay, it's an example. Well, according to Ric Flair, at various points he is the president of the United States. So <laughs> True. we go from that to the Nitro Girls. They're back. 
dancing to their best rendition of the Jellyfish Jam. Was that this one? I yeah. don't remember how often they show up in this one. I think twice, but this one definitely was the Jellyfish Jam song. On commentary tonight, it's Tony Schiavone and Mike Tanay. They say that Bobby Heenan's a little under the weather. He should be back next week. COVID. In 99. COVID 99. <laughs> Roddy Piper then comes out, still rocking the knee pads and wrestling boots under his kilt. And he says they're in Fargo, North Dakota, where men are men and Ric Flair runs scared. Which what? Yeah. I I am just happy that he's not wearing the bright blue boots. Yeah. They it, actually, they at least match. Look, in the grand scheme, if you're looking for Roddy Piper to cut a super sensical and tight promo, he's not going to do it. Fair. He's never done it. And that's kind of his style. Before he passed away, he would do various WWE returns. And it was always a crapshoot if you were going to get super on his game Roddy or just rambling mm. Roddy. Piper says that he's the sole man in charge of WCW, which we know isn't true because we saw the previous segment. Right. He reinstates Randy Savage. So I guess that's just cleared up. And then books Savage versus Scott Steiner later in the night for the U.S. title. Piper brings up DDP to a chorus of boos, asks the people what they want to see, which prompts DDP to come out. Which I have to question DDP's attire here because he comes out in a Three Stooges shirt. And I don't yeah. know why. I could not figure out the the connection. I think he just likes Three Stooges. But was it, didn't you tell me, maybe this is just a WWE rule. Didn't you tell me there's like a rule that wrestlers, if they're not coming out in gear, they have to come out in their merch or someone else's merch? What you're thinking of is if you're wearing a t-shirt under whatever gear you have. Oh. That would allow you to wear a t-shirt. You should wear someone else's shirt. Okay. This is not that. I don't know what this is. Okay. Well, then I don't know. I was trying to put some sort of... That wouldn't even put logic on it. I don't know. Piper pitches giving Sting a title shot. The crowd is into it. And DDP says, there's nothing he'd rather do, but I don't think so. Basically like, yeah, that sounds great, but no. So Piper just books it anyway and books it for nine o'clock. Yeah, this is the first time that they've given us a timestamp of a match, which is interesting because 9 o'clock is the top of the second hour, so this would be going straight head-to-head with Raw. Yes. I thought you were going to say, it's top of the second hour, not in the first hour. Correct. Commentary doesn't seem to understand how Yeah, time commentary works. mentioned times, like, in this first hour, we'll get this. Like, no, we'll get that at the top of the second hour. That's how 9 o'clock works. <laughs> it's not at 8.57. That would be within this hour. And even then, the match probably wouldn't start within this hour. They'd probably no. still be doing entrances. But it's just interesting. Like, we noted while we were watching this, it's interesting that this first hour actually, so far, I know we're only a few minutes in, has content and is pitching content like, hey, viewers, don't turn away because this is happening at this time. Don't switch to Raw. Yeah. Like, they're actually doing what they're supposed to do. No, yeah. it was a, It was a refreshing change. What wasn't a refreshing change is the NWO music hit after the segment, and I just slumped in my seat. Because we have Brian Adams versus Conan. Conan comes out <laughs> to what I am sure is a new theme. Are you, though? Are you this positive? One, this one, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. I still don't know. He also comes out in a White Sox beanie, and I'm like, why? Where are they? North Dakota. Where do the White Sox play? Boston? Chicago. Chicago. Uh, bears. No, the Bears are football. This is baseball. Nearest... I always thought Bears were baseball. No, the Cubs are Cubs. baseball. All the Bear things. For the record, the nearest baseball team would be the Minnesota Twins. Anyway, 
Back to Emily just naming other teams. <laughs> I'm just trying to relate to you. He does his normal Spanglish promo, but the music just blares over him to where I couldn't yeah. hear it. He does it really quickly. He does like the olale, aviva la rasa, and that's yeah, kind of strawberries. He, I don't even think he says strawberries. No, he does. Does he? It's just so well, quick. He, I remembered he said strawberries because I'm like, no, they're the black and white. There's no red to this group. Is that the first time you've considered that? He calls everybody strawberries. Well, he's usually up against people in the I don't think that's why he's calling them strawberries. I think when I took note of it, he was up against people in the wolf pack. And here he wasn't. And and it caught my attention. Hey, don't turn your back on the wolf pack. How dare you? (laughs) Who are you to doubt El Dandy? (laughs) Sorry, going off the rails. Uh, I mean, do you have anything to say about the match? No, (laughs) not particularly. Brian Adams tries to attack Conan, but Conan counters and hits him with the mic right before the bell, so it's not a DQ. Conan hits a very loose float-over bulldog, and then Adams slowly works over Conan and signals for a big press slam, but then turns it into a backbreaker, which looked a bit sore. Conan starts his comeback and hits his rolling clothesline. Adams regains advantage with a power slam. Conan regains that advantage with a face buster and goes for the tequila sunrise, but Vincent suddenly runs in and... Hits Conan for the DQ. Rest of the B team comes down and beat Conan down, including a spike pile driver, which was clearly meant to be the end spot because Conan sells that like death, and then mm. those go over and like kind of kick him a bit, and he doesn't sell it at all. Yeah. Ugh. Mike today plugs the hotline as the segment wraps up. Honestly, all things considered, this wasn't the worst match. It was very standard. It was yeah. very chain wrestling. It wasn't painful to watch. It no. was just kind of nothing. It was boring. It was. It, well, I don't even know if I would call it boring. It was just, yeah, it was basic. It kind of falls into the category of it feels like it's demoting Conan more than it's promoting Brian Adams. Do you think Conan is bigger than this? I mean, he was for a little bit. Yeah. He was, I mean, he was part of the Wolfpack and was seemingly lining up for a feud with Kevin Nash, and then that shit just didn't happen. Well, I mean, Conan was part of the Wolfpack, and these men are supposedly part of the NWO. Those two, those should be two giant factions, but they're really kind of turning into nothing, so yeah. they're kind of on the same page to me. Yeah, I think you can reasonably get Conan back to a decent mid-card status. I don't think Fair. Brian Adams is going to near there. I think the difference is Conan already had a singles reputation. Brian Adams, his singles reputation is kind of a big nothing burger, you know? Like, there's not really much there. Well, to you in WWE right now, he does have a previous okay. history. From what I've seen of him, he's been mostly in, like, tag matches or just NWO beatdowns. I don't really, like, I can't tell you any of his finisher yeah, moves or anything like that. Here. Yeah, So, we will see one member of the B-team later, but other than that, yeah, they're really... B-team just feels like nothing. Yes. We then get a dramatic Sting hype package. I was thinking he was really looking like Jigsaw in this package. I see what you mean. I don't necessarily agree, but I kind of get where you're coming from. They just show him. They don't show him wrestling at all. It's just, here he is. That's kind of why I was thinking Jigsaw. is just very, like, ominous and the face paint. We go to commentary. Tony and Mike and a bottle of Surge hype up the rest of the show. It's got to be the same bottle of Surge, right? I don't know. It has to be. We apparently were supposed to get a tag team match next, but the Horsemen took out Perry Saturn and Kidman, and they're at the hospital. They also mentioned that 
at the pay-per-view, there will be a three-way tag team match for the titles. Involving the Horsemen, Saturn, and Raven, and then Kidman and Mysterio. Which should be good. Like, that should be interesting. Yeah. I was saying, I was kind of hoping they were going to do that. And when I said we were supposed to get a tag team match, apparently they're just going to go ahead with a handicap match. Because fuck Raven. A weird handicap match. So, it's the Armstrongs versus Raven. Just no partner for Raven? Okay. I thought Ray Mysterio was going to come out and be his partner. Yeah, Nick, but the question you're forgetting to ask... What about Raven? Fuck him, apparently. <laughs> yes. That's what about him. Raven sits in the corner, has a mic. He gives some context to the crowd because they don't know why the fuck Perry Saturn's not here. Yeah. And he says it ain't over till the fat lady sings, but he's never seen an opera with a happy ending. Which maybe like, so back in the day, my dad was really into operas. We went to a couple of operas, but I'm just, I, I can't think of any that are happy endings. I think Raven might be right. Maybe Raven is more well-read than we realized. Well, I was going to say, Bugs Bunny agrees with you. Well, what did you expect in an opera? A happy ending? Oh, I forgot. You haven't watched a ton of Looney Tunes. There no. is a opera short. I think it actually won an Emmy or an Oscar. I forget which, because I forget what it qualifies for. But it won some major award for being an opera segment of Looney Tunes. Did it end sadly? Yes. And oh, the, well, there you go. I was thinking that Raven was well-read. Maybe Raven just watched the Looney Tunes. Match starts and Raven manages to hit a double bulldog after some miscommunication from the Armstrongs, which happens a bunch during this match. They just seem to kind of accidentally hit each other a bunch. Yeah, and that seemed purposeful. That seemed like their kind of gimmick at some points. No, they were just telegraphing it. Oh, okay. That was just poor work rate. That wasn't, oh, okay. uh, well. that wasn't meant to be a gimmick. Raven brings a chair in the ring that's already a bit fucked yeah, up. Yeah, it's was like weird. an R, it's a pre broken chair. He hits a drop toe onto the chair on each man. Scott Armstrong then holds Raven up for a diving move from his brother, but it's the one thing they didn't want to happen as Raven moves and they collide. What? Raven hits 10 punch spots on both men and then gets hit with a savat kick by Scott. Raven hits an even flow DDT on Scott and goes for the pin, but Steve hits Raven with an open chair and Scott gets the pin. Apparently, even though this is a handicap match, this is an upset, which relatively fair, but I feel like they shouldn't treat it like that. Yeah, the tag team should not be like, oh my god, we beat one guy. Especially when the one guy is Raven. Like, if it was Goldberg, I'd be like, oh yes, shit. definitely. Because like, they would do that with some guys when they're trying to, like, give them squash match wins, where it's like, we'll have them face, like, two, three, four guys, mm-hmm. and it's like it's meant to be impressive, but here it's like... Oh, you are an established tag team, and you beat, you know, R- Raven. He's yeah. middle of the pack. Yeah, he's he's very mid-card. But, like, I still, again, didn't hate this match. You just really like the Armstrongs, apparently. I guess I do. I'm not against them. Can you even tell me which one's which? Nope. There's red and there's black. Yeah, this was kind of nothing for me as well. I didn't hate it. It was more that it, it was just a match, and there was no real story progression that I'm like, okay, why? Like he, yeah, Raven there's no point. Won. There's no point. Moving on, we get Ric Flair calling Charles Robinson. And he tells Charles to get Piper arrested and also tells him to get the National Guard. Yeah, but we haven't figured out why he wants Roddy Piper arrested or what the National Guard would do. Yeah, I, I don't know. I what don't did, what did Roddy Piper do? Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> we then get the same recap package as the opening of the show, which was disappointing. I was like, oh. It was clear that they were filling time until 9 o'clock. To me, at least. 
We then get a Mean Gene interview in the ring with Charles Robinson. Gene asks in so many words, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Charles Robinson says Charles Robinson says he's in charge and says that Sting versus DDP will happen. He makes no mention of Randy Savage versus Steiner, mm-hmm. although that match does happen later. We were under the impression that because it was a Roddy Piper sanctioned match, that it would like get canceled or something. Yes, because, because he's not reinstated. Right, and supposedly Charles Robinson runs the show, so because he didn't reinstate Macho Man himself, why yeah, would Macho per, Man have a per match? the hierarchy? Charles Robinson would have more power than Roddy Piper. Right. But yeah, no mention of it. And Roddy Piper then comes out and Charles Robinson immediately asks for security. Robinson slaps Piper, who no-sells, and tells him he's going to like murder him. And Piper goes to attack him, but security stops him. And then Piper tries to spit at him. Robinson does the same thing Flair did last week. And it's like, you're fired, but you're still wrestling at a pay-per-view. Yeah, it was such a like rick flair impersonation spot it was exactly the kind of like movements and the like the way that he spoke it was oh yeah he goes it was, he was flair. trying to be rick flair he's in charge i guess that was the point of the segment and piper gets taken away yeah by security not by police it's so chaotic all of these segments are just so chaotic i can't make heads or tails of a lot of it i just think of jeff goldblum and Jurassic park just that's that's chaos theory <laughs> So we very suddenly transition from that to the title match. It is going to be Sting versus DDP for the WCW title. I did kind of ask at this point, I'm like, why is this not the main event of the show? Yeah. I mean, I guess you want to go head to head with Raw because you're getting your ass kicked lately and you want to have people not change the channel. But it's not like you've announced a main event to keep people around afterwards. I mean, it becomes clear after this match. But like, yeah, I totally agree with you. At this point, this well, shouldn't have been at this point in the card. I mean... It comes clear a bit after this match because if I was watching the time, I'd watch this match and then change over to Raw. Yeah, you're not wrong. There's nothing else booked for the rest of the show that I'm like, I think they were just hoping that people would watch this match, be like, damn, that was really good, and just stick around. So Sting comes out not in his jacket, which I thought was weird. I feel like that should be part of his attire. Yeah, I didn't think about it like that. DDP comes out and he's low-key defended his title on like, Almost every show since winning it. Oh, shit. Because he's defended it on every Nitro Mm -hmm. and one of the Thunders. Oh, really? There's only been two Thunders, and I'm not checking in on Saturday night. Fair. Wow. Oh, yeah. He defended against, like, Stevie Ray or some bullshit. Stevie Ray was never going to win the title. No. I I remember I peeked in, and I was like, why the fuck is he facing him? That's dumb. It was a member of the NWOB team. I think it was Stevie Ray. Because it was right after him facing Steiner, so he wasn't full heel at the time. Mm. DDP cheap shots Sting fairly early on, and then the two trade blows, which results in DDP getting knocked to the floor. DDP pulls Sting's hair to the ground, and then rolls to the outside and sticks his tongue out. (laughs) Sting follows him and throws him around ringside. Sting hits a stinger splash and goes for the scorpion deathlock, but DDP gets the ropes before it's locked in. DDP goes to the floor, spits Mike Tanay's water around, and then jaws with the crowd. Yeah, it was weird. There is a lot of stalling in the first half of this match, and I was I had a hard time getting into the was. first half of this. Sting counters a hip toss, then ducks a counter clothesline, but gets hit with the second attempt. The two brawl up the ramp, and there's just no count-out count. And they're like, oh, referee just letting it go. Well, the thing is, the ref did start counting. And then he just stopped. He got to, like, three and then just stopped. Commentary's like, referee knows fans want to see a, you know, an actual result to this match. I mean, yeah, he's not wrong, but that's you, you're you're counting, count or don't count. 
Sting scoop slams DDP on the aisle and they head back towards the ring. In the ring, Sting tries for a 10 punch spot but gets stopped by a blatant low blow, which, okay. For sure. And then is dropped face first onto the turnbuckle. They go for a spot where Sting is meant to be exhausted and f- like falls head first into DDP's groin. But Sting waits so long to do it that it looks intentional mm. and also like barely clips DDP. This is not to be confused with DDP hitting like elbow drops to Sting's midsection. And it like yeah. kind of looks like he's hitting him with low blows, but he, he's actually not. And commentary does point it out. I think it's meant to be a dirty move where it's like residual low blows. Where it's like, because it's not the main point of attack, it's like, oh, like your ribs are kind of hitting him in the groin, right. not, not your elbow. So I think it's meant to be a like dirty move that's legal. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I think I, I think I did that. see inten- like see those as low blows. Like I thought they were supposed to be low. Blows. Yeah, I think it's meant to be a gray area. Success. DDP hits a sit out power bomb, but gets a two. Sting hits a reverse tombstone because it wasn't quite a regular pile driver, but DDP kicks out, and then Sting just goes for a regular tombstone. That gets countered back and forth a little bit until Sting hits it, but it's still a two. It was cool though. Like seeing multiple tombstones in a row, I like that. I like that a lot. DDP hits his jumping DDT and then low blows Sting from a backslide position. DDP goes for the diamond cutter, but Sting turns it into a scorpion death drop and gets the pin. New world New champion. champion. Woo. Halfway, not even not even halfway through the show. Sting. Yeah, I thought that was really, I thought that was different. And I liked that a lot. Yeah, I wish they had kind of built to this going into it. I mean, I, I mean they talked to it about a little bit, but like, you should have promoted that you were going to have this match. Yeah, for sure. That this is absolutely something that should have been built to and could have drawn an even bigger audience, or at least promoted. Or at least promoted. Yeah, but like Sting's return was so big, and having Sting get a title shot, like that's huge for an audience. Yeah, Sting's momentum has just jumped around so much that it actually felt a little weird that he wanted here because mm. he came back and seemed like a big deal, and then he lost the pay per view, and then beat Ric Flair, and then kind of. Didn't do much for like two. He wasn't even on last week. Mm. And then he just wins the title. Hmm. It's like, oh, it it doesn't feel as hot as it probably could have. Right. With better with better planning, this could have been really cool. That's it. This was a good match. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. This was like my highest rated match of the night. The second half's a lot better than the first half. They Definitely. they they stall and the crowd brawling killed me a little bit because they spend a good portion of the first half of the match just brawling around the outside. There is a way to do that that I like it. I don't know what to, how to put my finger on it, but it just felt like they were killing time. So my thing with matches like that where they're brawling around the outside and what you think is like, you know, just slow pacing or killing time, this, it can be. It can really slow things down and that's when it loses me. For whatever reason, this actually kept the pace up in my eyes and kept me interested. Yeah, I don't know if they lost pace. It just, it was kind of uninteresting because they didn't have any interesting spots to kind of do out there. I'm all about the pacing. As long as it stays energetic, I'm into it. It's like that's why I have such a hard time staying interested in like for lack of a better term big boy matches. Like Goldberg versus Nash where it's just big guy slow punch in corner. It's just it's boring and it's slow. I think we can agree just anytime you go to the corner, it sometimes can slow things down. Yeah, absolutely. We have that later in a match. Oh my god, absolutely. But no, back to this match. This was a good match and I really enjoyed this match. This I gave it like four and a half stars. Wow, okay. I don't know what I would give it out of five, but it, it, it definitely was good. It definitely, just spoilers the match of the night. 
all right, I think fair comparison. Compare this to Sting and Flair from a couple weeks ago. Ooh. Because I think that one's better. Yeah, that one was definitely better. That was more entertaining. Well, speaking of Flair, we go backstage and Flair and Charles Robinson are on the phone again. Flair wants Sting versus Goldberg at Slambury and it gets booked. And I'm like, I thought Nash had a title shot. And that is a point throughout the night and commentary does bring that up. So it wasn't just a weird oversight where we were pretending that didn't happen. My question is, Ric Flair is supposedly in a mental hospital. I don't necessarily... Not watching Nitro, according to the nurse. Right. I don't necessarily know how hospitals work, but I imagine when they're like holding you for mental issues, you have limited resources to the outside, like phone-wise and stuff. He has already made three phone calls tonight. Emily, do not look to this for accuracy. I'm just annoyed. <laughs> well, hopefully the next match will take you out of that because uh, we have a cruiserweight title match. Yeah, yeah. Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Psychosis. Rey comes out in a jersey that has the number 99 on it. Conan came out in similar attire earlier. And on the back, it says No Limit, which is a group that the rapper Master P is a part of. You may know Master P from being the father of Lil Bow Wow. I know Lil Bow Wow. His dad is Master P. Okay. Who is a famous rapper. I didn't know that he was also a rapper. Oh, that's cool. Uh, We will see the No Limit soldiers show up on Nitro. Interesting. So Psychosis comes out with a bath towel over his head, judging by the fucking size of the towel. However, there are holes cut into it for his horns on his mask. He was wearing a bath towel? It was a pretty, it was a towel. It was a pretty sizable towel. I don't remember it being a towel. Because, like, you know, some people do, like, the little towel, like, Taz, or he came in a while. This was, like, a full-on bath towel. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? He has such lavish headdresses, usually. I didn't think anything of it. So the match starts. Ray hits the top rope, Hurricane Rana, early on. I don't have a ton of notes for this match. It didn't go terribly long. No, it didn't. He tries for a head scissors, but Psychosis counters it and drops him throat first onto the top rope. Throat first. Throat first sounds so much like more brutal than this one looked pretty brutal. Yeah. What else would you call that? Like jaw first? I guess? Well, actually, it looked a little more. It, just, it sounds it, like it hurts. To be fair, this one looked a little more face first, which also looked rough. Well, yeah. Takuzis tries for tornado DDT, but after a few counters, hits an inverted suplex onto the ropes. Ray hits a top rope Hurricane Rana to Psychosis, who's standing on the apron, and they take a little extra time on that bump because that can go poorly. Yeah, definitely. And it looked like it very much could have there. Yeah, they they definitely took the time for safety. Which is good. I appreciate that. <laughs> this prompts the horsemen to come out. and then why not? As Ray hits a face buster on Psychosis. They pose with Ray's title, so he hits a double bulldog from the apron onto them, and then gets hit with a baseball slide from Psychosis. In the ring, Psychosis hits a powerbomb and tries for another, but Ray counters it and hits a spinning DDT and gets the win. Yeah. So, after one week, we have a new champion again, and it's Rey Mysterio. The titles are just changing all over the place. Yeah, they're really desperate to have people tune in, because, like, anything can happen. Anything can happen on Nitro. Yeah, it... Really, nothing for Psychosis. Literally, a a week. I don't think he was even on Thunder, so it's just like, oh, maybe you're just trying to pop a rating. Yeah, definitely. Which sucks. Like, I would have liked to see a title reign from Psychosis, because, like, we don't see a lot of Psychosis as, like, a character, so I would have been interested to see him. But no time to celebrate as the horsemen come in the ring and throw Ray around, literally. Literally, yeah. And on There's the w- one point where, like, both men grab him by the leg and, like, um, support his feet and just, like, launch him across the ring. That spot works better when you have multiple people can- and everybody can grab a limb versus just vaulting the feet. It kind of... It, it, it just makes me- Ray look kind of clumsy. 
<laughs> it reminded me of like you know a dad and his little kid in the pool and yeah. he's almost like send the kid flying and the like big splash like that's what it reminded me of thoughts on the match i liked it yeah i mean i, I like was, a Rey mysterio i match. was a bit let down yeah yeah i mean they had some fun spots but it was a pretty quick match and it was a little too quick for my taste and i wish it like held a little longer yeah and just ray winning the title back i was like oh i mean why, i think why that did... the title belongs on ray mysterio i mean i don't see but... that but it's like why did you you know it just seemed yeah. weird in hindsight to give it a psychosis just like if you're gonna negate it a week later then what's the point yeah yeah and again, it wasn't like the advertisers going in, so it's not right. like it's not like they, they they had a bunch of people tuning in for this, right? Which again, if they had the right marketing team, they totally could have. On the way, to commercial commentary hypes up a four way hardcore match for later in the night: Hack versus Horace Hogan versus Brian Nobbs versus Mikey Whipwreck. So, which like half of that sounds interesting. Yeah, we'll see that in a bit. So next up, we get Kevin Nash coming out for about three minutes. Says he just found out he's basically out of a title shot. Says someone must have forgotten, but he didn't. He then notes that Goldberg is backstage, and since we've seen DDP versus Sting, he challenges Goldberg, DDP, and Sting to a four-way match for the title. He then says he's waiting for an answer seconds after issuing the challenge. And then goes to the back. And then just walks away. See, I thought what it was going to be was he challenges Goldberg for the title shot. Because... For the title two of, shot, yeah. Two of these men have already wrestled tonight. Yeah, that's what I kind of thought. Again, I thought like Charles Robinson or even Roddy Piper would come out and be like, "No." Well, Roddy Piper is incapacitated. We don't see him the rest of the night. But Fair. yeah, it was just kind of strange. And Nash goes to the back, and we go from that to Ric Flair back at the mental hospital, and he seems to make the four-way match official. So that's our main event for the night. Remember when I said at the beginning that we go back to this hospital? so much what is this time like three or four four it's four times so flair is on board with the four-way match and then tries to wrestle this like super jacked nurse oh my god yeah she was very clearly a wrestler but like scary strong looking woman yeah like china strong except we have eric watts versus bam bam bigelow yeah again i was just like i don't know who you are eric watts son of promoter bill watts I have heard some terrible things about Eric Watts' ability, and I'm like, all right, I heard he's terrible. Let, well, let's see. Lucky for you, we don't see much of it. He goes for two moves during this match and botches both of them. <laughs> Granted, they're a little more, you know, intricate moves, but he so, goes for a tornado DDT yeah. and kind of turns it into a like tornado neck breaker kind of thing. Just, he tried to hook his leg around Bam Bam Bigelow's neck and doesn't quite well, get yeah, there. Bam Bam has to help him. That was him going him. for head scissors. Okay. But like Bam Bam has to help him get his leg around his neck. Yeah. And we go from that to basically Bam Bam hitting a diving headbutt and then a greetings from Asbury Park and Bam Bam wins. The greetings from Asbury Park looked like a very gentle slam at the end. Like, it felt like he was cradling Eric's head a little bit more. Than yeah, I mean, it's, it's meant to be like a pile driver kind of thing. Sure. I'm, I'm never going to complain too much about it looking safe. No, but like, I, I imagine that with a more seasoned wrestler, you can kind of, you don't have to coddle so much. It so, felt like Bam Bam was sort of babysitting Eric Watts' neck, you know? So Bam Bam doesn't even celebrate, he just walks to the back after winning. It's like, okay. There's not much to celebrate there. We then get Mean Gene doing an interview with Sting on the ramp. Oh, I didn't give you my rating for that match. Oh. Negative one star. Negative one? Really? Yeah, nothing fucking happened. Yeah, but I wouldn't go negative one for something that lasted 60 seconds. It was bad. Mm. I gave it negative one. I found it stupid. 
We get Mean Gene interviewing Sting on the ramp. Sting has his face paint touched up, and both of us <laughs> laughed about it a little bit. Oh, yeah, because in the first match with, D- with DDP, his face paint comes, like, entirely off. Like, there's some traces of it around his lips and around his eyes, but it is completely well, I'm guessing gone. it's, like, lipstick. Maybe. You may be right. It might be, like, his eyeliner and his lipstick stayed. But, yeah, he comes back out for this Gene interview, and it is entirely back together. So he must have gone from his match back to the makeup chair and just got it completely redone and just came right back out when it was finished. Because that wasn't that long ago. No. Gina Sting about the challenge. Sting says that he's back and he's back in black, which apparently means he'll accept the challenge to stop all the whining. And he says he'll see them later. I mean, like, I appreciate that. Yeah. Just like... Shut up. (laughs) I just... It's one of those things where it's like you're coming out to say six sentences. I don't know why... You need to come out and do this. Just why can't it be a backstage segment? Yeah, they really just don't like backstage segments unless it's David Flair sitting in front of a fireplace with Tori Wilson mumbling about something. You haven't seen her in a little while. I know. Although I think she showed up in the thumbnail for next week. Yeah, hopefully we see her again soon. Next up, we get a television title match: be Booker T versus Meng, which you seemed kind of excited for. Like when Meng came out, you're like, "Ooh, interesting." It could be good. Meng comes out, Tony notes they're about to launch the Nitro Girls website. Oh, no. Did you ever go to that website? No, I didn't watch I didn't watch Nitro. I mean, ever as in between the time that we watched the show and the time that we are recording now. I can't imagine it's still up. <laughs> I don't know. I also know. didn't hear a, you know, a URL for it, so. Oh, fair. But I can't imagine it's still there. I, I can't imagine it's the uh, Space Jam website where... <laughs> So the match starts, Booker goes for some chain wrestling, but Meng just slams him instead. It's like, no, nah, we're not doing that. <laughs> they set a pretty good pace early on, and Booker hits a nice drop kick before slowing things down a bit. And then it really slows down a bit yeah. because Meng works Booker over in the corner. And Booker counters, hits two big scoop slams, then is caught by a snap power slam. And then we go right back to the corner. Meng's chops were weird. I thought they were going to be harder hitting. You know, I didn't notice. I, I think I was zoning out for this match. Which is unfortunate, because it could have been really great. Meng goes to toss Booker from one corner to the other, but Booker vaults over and hits a Harlem sidekick and then a scissor kick. On one of these kicks, Meng ends up clipping the ref a bit, and Booker hits a back suplex and then a spin rooney while the ref is down. But I still don't call it a spin rooney They do not. As, okay, I, still, I think about my uh, journey with Booker T a lot, where I started out really disliking him. Because I know him for the Spinner Rooney, and I don't, I like, I hate the word Spinner Rooney, honestly. I hate the move. I think it's stupid. But I was kind of disappointed in this moment when they didn't call it the Spinner Rooney. I was like, put some respect on Booker T's name. I wonder when they'll finally call it that. I don't know. I really love Booker T in this, in this faction of his life, I guess. Does he just forget how good he was? Yeah. When you have to listen to him do commentary? Because I hate Booker T on commentary. Yeah, he's not great. I don't hate him because of who we have right now that we're listening to, but. It's not great. Is he in your fave five, Emily? My fave five for commentary? No. That was the thing he would do where on commentary. Oh. To his fave five. And it's like up to about 15 people can be in Booker's <laughs> fave five at any given week. Oh, then he's totally my fave five. Booker hits a big kick and has the wind, but the ref is down. Meng then gets in the tongue and neck grip, but Stevie Ray runs in and knocks Meng out with, with a slapjack. And Booker gets the pin. Similar story as previous weeks where it's like, oh, I don't yeah. think Booker even realized. What yeah, happened. this this one was seemed more vague of whether or not Booker even realized that Stevie was there. The one catch with this story is what does Booker think happened? It's the stars aligned. I don't know. <laughs> like, he had you in his finishing hold and it's like, oh, I'm bang, I'm dead now. <laughs> bang, you're dead. No, bang, I'm dead because Booker doesn't even do anything. <laughs> 
So Rick Steiner then runs down to come beat the shit out of Stevie Ray because it's the same shit he did to Rick Steiner last week. Yeah. Booker stops him and then the two argue. Not a bad match. I liked it probably better than you did. Yeah, it yeah, was a yeah. bit slow and yeah, the corner I gave it stuff did get to me. I was about to complain about the repeat finish from the past couple weeks because they've been doing this. Mm-hmm. But Rick Steiner coming in and like, okay, like they're like, doing kind of something. Putting it with, into it almost, yeah. Well, they're doing something with it. It's not just, okay, let's let's stall this another week. I feel like they're ramping up for a tag team with Booker and Stevie Ray versus Rick and somebody. I don't know about that. I think they're meant to just be teasing, are the brothers going to reunite? Mm, okay. Or, you're right, and it's time to bring back Judy Bagwell. <gasps> yes. We can only dream. She will come back eventually. Okay. Former tag team champion, Judy Bagwell. Never forget. We go from that to a Kevin Nash hype video, I guess. Looking big and sexy in it, this promo. It's set to the Wolfpack theme, and there was a little musical sting where they cut to different photos for each like drum beat. <laughs> and I just laughed. Ever just... And it's all like glamour shots of him, too. He's not yeah. like doing power wrestling moves. He's just like whipping his hair. Back from commercial, we see footage from Spring Stampede of DDP injuring Hulk Hogan's leg. Tony still has his surge. I can't make out what the level of it is. Yeah, we are now on like surge watch, trying to figure out if this surge has been sipped or not. Tony and Mike chat a little bit as the crowd chants weasel at Mike. And Mike jokes that he's like, oh, you know, I'm fine being an honorary weasel for the night. Just lighthearted because it's a Bobby Heenan thing. And Tony, I think only slightly joking, is like, oh, maybe it should be for the year. Ah. So they throw to a Hulk Hogan surgery package with Dr. James Andrews, who's actually a well-respected member of the sports medicine community. Yeah, you explained this to me. I thought that he was just another like doctor actor, and you were like, no, no, he's an actual doctor. We get white hair Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan arriving at the hospital. <laughs> uh, Hogan, who is not limping at all. Yeah, for someone, so the way that they pitched how damaged his knee was, this doctor was essentially saying that, like, Hulk Hogan should not be able to walk, let alone wrestle. And then he just, like, casually gets out of his car, just walking into the hospital. Totally fine. Well, I I I don't know how much the doctor was actually, you know, working in terms of, like, trying to work the audience. Because I took it as a fucking burial of, like, yeah, you know, uh, Hogan hasn't been able to move properly in years. It's like fucking burn. Oh, I thought he, I thought he was working the audience. I thought he was trying to play up like I, Hulk Hogan's so strong that he played through. He worked through this injury that should have killed him, essentially. Yeah, I think it might actually just be medical speak. Because I think back to, uh, I think we referenced this before, Beyond the Mat of Terry Funk going to the doctor. It's like, <laughs> it's like how, so how, how long can I keep wrestling? It's like, you shouldn't be able to walk, Terry. <laughs> I feel like that's different. Well, I'm just saying it's one of those where it's like, yeah, you shouldn't really be doing what you're doing based you on your body. You finished wrestling 10 years ago. But, no, I just laughed at the, yeah, you know, he probably hasn't been able to move properly in a while. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> you're telling me that Hulk Hogan can't wrestle. But when Bischoff and Hogan arrive, they have a chat. And Bischoff wants Hogan to think about the long term. But Hogan just wants DDP now. And it's like, all right, well, I guess, uh, I and guess in, Nash will handle this. In this moment, this is the first moment I remember in a very long time, if ever, I respect Eric Bischoff. Well, Hogan seems skeptical, like the fucking doctor's going to turn heel mid-surgery or something. You know what this wouldn't shock me? This isn't a scalpel, me? it's a buddy of mine. 
we didn't get a, a medical montage of this. I, I say I was going to say of the surgery. It's just of items around the hospital. No, there was a wasn't there a shot of them in the operating room? Yeah, but I don't think they were doing anything yet. I don't know. But uh, no timetable given for his return. I think was my my main actual takeaway from this. Yeah, they're just like, yeah, we'll be out for a little while. But I don't know how much of the doctor's speech was a work versus a shoot. I feel like it has to have been a work. I'm gonna guess like eighty twenty work. I'm pretty sure he'll be back by the end of the summer. But I know he will be. He yeah. won't be back next week. You know? No, wait, no, no, no. We go back to the mental hospital with uh, probably the thing we have the most to talk about. Rick Flair is back on the phone with Charles Robinson. Flair books Rick Steiner versus Booker T for the pay-per-view and also makes the main event tonight no DQ. Then starts palling around with the other patients and um, suddenly we get a little uh, guest appearance. Emily, who's there? I'm I'm still confused because the, the patients are like in a little circle and they're doing like the Steiner dance or whatever. And then they turn to this other guy that walks in. Long, black, scraggly hair tied up in a red bandana. And they do the little woo spirit fingers at Scott fucking Hall. But no one says it's Scott Hall. They don't cut back to this ever again. They never mention that at Scott Hall. Scott he Hall turns around and he leaves. At, at Flair and then leaves. So we're not going to talk about that? No. It will never be mentioned. Why was he there? On any broadcast, apparently. That Scott <laughs> Hall appeared in this. I'm just, I have so many questions. Is he coming back to wrestling? Is this, was he just like available on set that day? Somebody thought it would be funny. I bet it was fucking Kevin Nash. Probably. Funny. God. <laughs> I don't really know what to say. Yeah, just Scott Hall pops in and, and that's it. That's the joke. It was so bizarre and jarring and... Apparently, I should have known this was coming because Nick and I both read the book, The Death of WCW, which I, this yeah, comes I, up. I like loosely remember this. I'm like, wait, this is story this? is in that book, and I've read that book, and I did not remember it, so I should have known it. It was in my brain somewhere. To be fair, I but, think uh, the majority of this podcast is reliant on you not remembering what's in that book. <laughs> it's true. Reading that book together is what made us want to start the podcast. Let's just move on from that as quickly as they do. <laughs> yeah. We're back, and it's time for the four-way hardcore match, and we know this because everyone's already out. There's no entrances. There are no entrances. And I think this is where we looked, and it's like, oh, they're running out of time. Because they got a couple matches left, and it's like, oh, shit, we gotta, we gotta rush. Because three of them are in the ring, and Hack is just sitting on the outside. In case you forgot, this match is Hack versus Horace Hogan versus Brian Nobbs versus Mikey Whipwreck. Yes. And... I say that this match might as well just be Hack versus Brian Nobbs. Pretty much, yeah. Depending on where the focus of the camera is. Because they really just don't follow the other two. Because they're, they're, all four men are constantly brawling. I feel like I've had cruiserweight four-way matches that are easier to track than this. Yeah, and this this match also had the uh, the patented Emily problem of all these men look vaguely similar to me. <laughs> they do not to me they did they didn't have discernible like features it was hard to track because of that for me <laughs> i don't think any of these men look even re- i think they may I'll, I'll maybe hear you out on hack and brian knobs well they didn't have exciting costumes they don't have like they're all tall white men with unexcited with uninteresting Horace costumes bald. okay 
He's still a tall white man. Mikey Whipwreck's not, not tall. Yeah, but he was also like not in the ring for a lot of it. Yeah, they just really didn't focus on him a ton. So, match starts, and the three guys beat down Hack with kendo sticks. And then Knob grabs a ladder and fucking smashes everyone with it. Mm-hmm. And then splashes the ladder onto Hack. Horace gets Pity City, and and about two minutes after coming back from commercial, we go to commercial again. Yeah. We come back, and there's trash cans everywhere. Hack then tosses a surge cooler in the ring. Which is probably my favorite part of this match. Hack and Knobs brawl to the outside, and Hack grabs a table. He tries to do the thing where you lay it from the ring apron to the, like... The barricade, yeah. To the barricade on the outside. And a member of the crowd has to try to help because it's not far enough. And because of the mats, the barricade's hard yeah. to to shift. There was a good moment where they were holding on the shot of the audience members. Like, it was two or three of them in the audience trying to, like, push the barricade forward and just getting stuck on the mat. I was like, this is really undercutting the whole, like, hardcoreness of this. Knobs headshots hack twice with a chair and... I think this is about the time I noticed, like, yeah, they're really not focused on Mikey Whipwreck, only for him to do a move, because he hits a vaulting leg drop from inside the ring to the apron, with Hack holding a chair over Nobbs' face. A lot going on quickly here. Nobbs just smashes a wet floor sign right into Horace Hogan's face. Hogan tries to whip Hack with, with, with his weightlifting belt, per his uncle, but Chastity sprays him with a fire extinguisher. Hack sets up Hogan on a table on the floor, he then goes to vault onto him, and I don't know what move he was going for. And I also couldn't tell if Horace Hogan moves or gets kind of bounced off the table. Because Hack just crashes yeah. through, but then immediately gets back up. Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was a botch or what was happening there. This match is the epitome of chaos. Hack lays Mikey Whipwreck on a table in the middle of the ring and then hits a somersault senton off a ladder. Like, uses it to kind of flip over. And crashes through Whipwreck and the table. Nobs then hits a Brett's Rope trash can shot to a down hack. And then grabs a ladder and hits a running slam with it onto Whipwreck and gets the pin. Woo! This was a fun mess of a match. Yes, I would say this was a fun mess, but it was a mess nonetheless. I kind of wish we had watched it at like 90% speed or like 85 just so I could actually retain everything. Oh my god, yeah. Because everything is just so quick that it's hard to see everything that's happening. No, absolutely, and I agree with you. It it was just so chaotic, like, trying to track who was where and who was doing what and who set up what move to do what to who. Chaos. It was chaos. But uh, this is two wins in a row for Brian Knobs. So they said literally, like, it was back in WSW last week. So I don't know if that was a... Oh, really? I don't know if that was him getting re-signed or him just suddenly appearing again. I did like him immediately cutting a promo to camera, saying, like, Brian Knobs saying, like, the gates to Nastyville are open. To me, that was very ECW. And I liked that. I wouldn't say that. Hogan does that after almost every match. It felt different. I don't know why. It didn't feel like cocky, I'm the best that that there ever will be, ever was. Like, that's Bret Hart. But you know what I mean. This one just felt like, I'm going to cut a promo now. Well, speaking of promos, up next we get Scott Steiner in the ring. Cut a little promo for his match. He says that real men don't wear skirts. And he says he doesn't have to listen to WCW officials. But he likes the match they made, so I guess this will do it. Yeah, what? Yeah, it felt like most of Scott Steiner's promo was just emasculating Roddy Piper. No mention of Buff Bagwell anywhere in this promo, even though he's going to face him. And I want to send you a photo of something from Thunder. Feel free to check your phone. Uh, On Thunder one of these weeks, Buff Bagwell came out and did a Scott Steiner impression. 
complete with a bit of costume. <gasps> oh my god. <laughs> I also didn't realize how high-pitched Buff's voice was until he tried to do a Steiner promo. I kind of love that. I think that's hilarious. Oh, he also, um, to get to Steiner, he used the phrase, the big bad poo-poo daddy. Ooh, got him. So in this promo, Steiner says he's making a special stipulation. If Savage wins, he'll be, quote, the new S champ. Yeah, the new S champ. I don't know if that was a flub or if he meant to say that. And if Steiner wins, he gets Gorgeous George. Adding on to his reputation of just like, I'll wrestle you, but if I beat you, I'm going to have sex with your wife or girlfriend or partner. Like, dude, get your own girls. Well, speaking of Gorgeous George, Jesus. Titties. Yeah, she comes out. Uh, I recently did a little bit of research on her. She got this job through dating Randy Savage. They met in a strip club. Oh. And apparently, do you know why she got the name Gorgeous George? Hmm. Because WCW apparently originally purchased the trademark for it with the intention of giving it to Randy's brother, but then never used him on TV. So they gave it to her. Wow. Yeah, so they are dating in real life. Okay, I can see that. Apparently, the person who was going to get this spot, but wasn't dating Randy Savage, so she didn't get this spot, was Tori Wilson. Okay, I guess I can see that, yeah. Now, I'm going to have to blow your mind here for a second. Because I didn't recognize this person either. There's an additional member to Randy Savage's entourage. Comes out wearing some pageant attire and across the little um, sash says, Miss Madness. Do you know who this person is? Did you recognize her? No. So she is 21 at this t- at this point, which is probably why we didn't. They also don't really give her any close up. This woman will go on to be in WWE as one Molly Holly. No way. <laughs> yeah. That was Molly Holly? That was Molly Holly. What? That's wild. I need to go back and watch that now. Yeah. I like looked at photos like you, like you can barely tell it's her. What? That's that's amazing. And for a while I did think that the sash said Miss Mattress. Well, I thought it was. Not Miss Mattress, yeah. which like makes sense. Well, I Madness, thought it was Medusa but... for a minute because they really don't show her no. any sort of close ups. And then Medusa comes out later. So at this point, the match hasn't started yet. And I just wrote, I'm like. Randy Savage should not be wrestling his first match on free TV. Like, you know, barely advertised. This is another one that should have been advertised. They at least announced it earlier in the night. But it's like, he's not reinstated per flair. And Charles Robinson is back in control. So, Charles Robinson then comes out and it's like, oh, okay, he's going to say this match isn't happening. No, he's just going to ref it. So, this match is going to happen. Yeah, it was bizarre. Like, we were both kind of waiting for the shoe to drop and be like, okay, I guess this match isn't happening. And when Charles Robinson came out, we were both like, up oh, there it is. And then he just stays. It was weird. Well, so the two pose off for a bit and do eventually lock up. Savage gets Steiner into the corner pretty quickly. And Steiner pushes Savage into referee Charles Robinson. Like, barely grazes him. But because he hit him, Robinson DQs Randy Savage. Calls for the bell and that's the match. Apparently, Charles Robinson has arrested development rules. No touching. So, one, considering Steiner won, I'm like, oh, does Steiner now get Gorgeous George, even though no one's been doing it? He did the same thing with Kimberly, and that just wasn't Yeah, exactly. Medusa then comes out and kicks Charles Robinson, who just knocks him out. 
tosses him in the ring, and in a weird moment, the three women decide to strip Charles Robinson. Yeah, this was really strange and uncomfortable. But then it was revealed that he's wearing the same boxers that Ric Flair was wearing last week in Florida. He's wearing, like, University of Florida boxers. Yeah. It's funny. Ha ha ha. So, yeah, this this wasn't a match. So no, it's this like, is a segment, if anything. Yeah, so, I mean, they at least still have the chance to not give away Savage's for, like, first real match on free television. Yeah, I really think a lot of this company's issue is the marketing. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they would just randomly have him on Thunder face the Disciple in a standard match. Whoa. They wouldn't do that at all on the upcoming Thunder after this with no advertising. Did they really? Yep. Oh, my God. But hey, our boy Ed Leslie gets another payday. Oh, woo. <laughs> they wonder how long he sticks around for. We transition from that to a Gorgeous George training video. Nothing really of note here. We did notice that this gets way more production value than any other hype package for any other wrestler. Like, this actually has, like, a set and, it like, well, so they glamour actually, they actually shot. Go they, go, they go somewhere, yeah. Like, they actually put some work into this one. And you were just like, yeah, it's because she's pretty. I wonder if they filmed that somewhere local or if they went to, like, Goldberg's gym or something. Because we, oh. we have reference that he does own a gym at this yeah, point. Yeah. So. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, remember when... Uh, I to- totally remember, forgot about that storyline. Yeah, remember when Miss Elizabeth was uh, apparently being stalked by Goldberg by going to his gym? Yeah. <laughs> and him coming to work. Remember what happened at, at the end of that night? Nothing. That was the finger poke night. Was it the finger poke? God, I... Mm, wow. So much happened in one night. I hate wrestling. Well, let's go on to the main event then. Main event of the evening, DDP versus Sting versus Kevin Nash versus Goldberg for the WCW title. DDP comes out limping, you know, actually bothering to sell his match earlier. Right. He gets to about the moat outside the uh, the ring and they just cut to the next entrance and they just keep doing that because they are running out of time. Yeah, I asked you to check the time at this point. There's a maybe 10 minutes left of the show. And I don't know what he was told going into the night, but holy shit, did Sting look disinterested coming out for yeah. his entrance? I'm like, were you not told you were losing the title later? Spoilers! Yeah, so they don't have time for entrances, but they do have enough time to go to a fucking commercial. Yeah, what? Back from commercial, DDP is apparently in the crowd. Was he in the crowd? Yeah, he's in the crowd, and the other three are... Yeah, okay, so I did notice that he was not in the ring for the majority of like the beginning half of this match. Well, he is... Depending on who you ask, the only heel in this match. Because he is doing a heel strategy of just like, ooh, I'm going to let everybody else fight and then hit I mean, the scraps yeah. for a little bit. And then then that role gets taken over by somebody else. But we'll get to that. The other three brawl in the ring. Goldberg hits an underhook suplex on Nash. Oh, and I actually did note that DDP is doing a WWE 2K strategy. When you, there's a fatal four-way, it's just like, I'm just going to sit on the outside of the ring and break up pins when appropriate. And oh, yeah. Do some bullshit. Goldberg gets a power slam on Sting and gets a two. DDP stops a spear before it can happen and hits Goldberg with a spinning neckbreaker. Tony notes that DDP is probably the freshest of all the men, like, damage-wise. And I'm like... What? He lost the match earlier. There are two men in the ring that have not wrestled tonight. Yeah, and you're picking the one guy who got beat down enough to where he lost. What? (laughs) Sting hits a stinger splash on all three men. Nash then hits a big boot on all three men and sets up for the jackknife, but Goldberg breaks it up. Goldberg hits a world's strongest slam on DDP. Nash tries to steal the pin, but DDP kicks out. Tries to do the same thing after a stinger splash to Goldberg. And does it a handful of times throughout this match. And I'm like, 
Nah, she's still supposed to be, I guess, a bit of a face here. Right. Like, this is a really heelish dick move. Like, ooh, let me sneak this. Ooh, sneaky. He's doing the Scott Hall fingers. Ooh, the spirit fingers, essentially. Sting gets the Scorpion Deathlock in on Nash, but has to break it up after Goldberg hits a spear on DDP. Goldberg then hits a spear on Sting. After that, I actually managed to hit a jackhammer on Sting, but Randy Savage suddenly runs in and breaks up the pin. Savage clotheslines Goldberg to the floor and then tosses Nux to DDP, who uses them on Nash and hits a diamond cutter in a Big lot of quotes. quotes on Nash, who takes it as a back bump somehow and gets the pin on Nash and regains the title. So, is that one of the shortest, like historically, the shortest um, title reigns? At this point, it is the shortest. Okay. We talked previously about one day title reigns. Yeah. And I, like, kind of half remembered seeing this, but I didn't see when. But I there mean, are he was a, the champion for, like, less than two hours. There are various shorter ones. Really? Still to come. Jesus. But I think most of those, or maybe even all of them, are 2,000. Okay. So we got lots of time before we get to that. GDP leaves through the crowd to escape, but he can't really seem to find the right way to go and struggles a little bit with that. Uh, but that's the main event. Thoughts on the match? Um, it was fine. I didn't really have any strong feelings about it. I think that the um, DDP Sting match was significantly better than this. Yeah, I was hoping this could have been fun. And the fact that they were actually running out of time, I'm like, ooh, this might just be them skipping to, you know, the final third of a match they right. had planned as opposed to... They really still cannot figure out four-way matches yet. No, both four-way matches in this show were so chaotic and messy. It's not even like they've had a ton of luck with the previous ones either. No. They just haven't. They can't figure it out. There's there's something that about it that they just can't do. Yeah, but uh, GDP leaves the show the way he started it as champion, so kind of makes the Sting title change a little pointless. Yeah, this whole sh- this whole they're really kind of... they're just trying to pop a rating. I wonder if they succeeded. Well, I can't speak for hourly, but this show is down from the previous week. It was a four-one last week. It was a 3-9 this week. Really? And it goes down even more next week. Yikes. So this has a negative effect on that. Yikes. Because, I mean, yeah, we, t- we talked about the psychosis title right and feeling pointless. Yeah. Stings just like. That was, an, that was even more pointless. Yeah. And it just makes DDP look a bit weak of, they can just kind of sneak victories to win titles. How do you like DDP as a heel? Do you like him more as a face or as a heel? I like him more as a face. It doesn't feel like he's been given a ton to do as a heel. Fair. Which is weird to say as the champion. They also aren't really saying a bunch about Randy Savage constantly helping him win. Because Savage is the same thing on the upcoming Thunder as well. Oh. So is Randy Savage also a heel? See, depends on who he's in the ring with, I guess. Oh, because God. he's against Ric Flair, who is meant to be, you know, power drunk. But is now losing his mind. Next week, he'll likely be a heel because they're going to be in Charlotte. Mm. And that's Ric Flair's hometown. So we'll see what happens to that. We'll also see what happens with Ric Flair in general because they usually do a pretty good job of making a fool out of Ric Flair every time they go to Charlotte at this point. And they haven't, um, I guess they do on Thunder, but at least on Nitro, they haven't gotten him out of the mental No, I, I didn't see him out at that point. Before, before we start diving into next week's show that we haven't seen... Uh, let's recap this show. Thoughts on the show as a whole? Uh, fine. It kept my interest. Yes. I kept thinking that something big was going to happen. 
And like, which feels weird to say in a mat in a show I with know. two world title changes. I know, but like, do you understand what I mean? Though, like, there was no like wow moment, and I think I kept waiting for like a wow moment. Yeah, Sting winning the title didn't feel like a super big deal. I'm wondering if it was because it was halfway through the show. I, it was shocking. Like, I did like that moment. Like, that did bump my interest in the show because it was so early on and unexpected. So, like, that was I liked that. But it did, by the end of it, seem completely unnecessary. Yeah. It, like, undercut itself. I don't disagree. So let's uh, let's wind this down. Go to best bit and MVP. Emily, what's your best bit? Even though I just, like, told everyone that it undercut the show, <laughs> I'm going to give my best bit to um, the DDP Sting match. Yeah, in a vacuum. That's, in a vacuum, that's yes. That's a great match. By far the best match on the card tonight. Yeah, I don't disagree. MVP? I gave it to Sting. Okay. Yeah. I, it's funny. I'm going to do the same thing we did a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to give mine to Sting's opponent. DDP? I'm giving mine to DDP. Um, I think he actually got more of a raw deal than Sting out of this, because you just interrupted his title reign with this random detour. Yeah. And I thought his promo was a little better than Sting's again. Really, just Sting's not a great promo He's in not. my eyes. And so he keeps being hurt by having to come out and cut weird promos. Like, Sting, I don't care that you're back in black. Yeah, that's fair. You're really trying for that too hard. I just think he gave a good performance in the ring, wrestle-wise. Oh, yeah. So I mean, I think... Bo- that's why he's my... I MVP. think both of them did. Definitely. Agreed. Yeah. And I did like the logic of DDP just camping on the outside, <laughs> waiting to pick his, his moment during the other one. Yeah. Very heel heat. Plus, Sting lost points for me for looking really disinterested during his entrance. Yeah. It kind of telegraphed to me that something was going to happen. Can you blame him, though? <laughs> Either way, that's it for this episode of the Butts and Seats podcast. Till you join us for the May 3rd episode, I want to say. So we yes. have another episode of Nitro and then our Slamboree. Yes. And after that, we're uh, going back to ECW for an episode. ECW. Till then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Butts and the Pod. We're also on Facebook at Butts and the Seats podcast. Head to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And Google Podcasts. Also, I guess leave a rating or review. We want you to share it more than that, but we won't turn down your feedback. Absolutely not. Any uh, final thoughts before we get out of here, Emily? No, I'm just excited to see Tori Wilson coming back next week. Like That kind of got spoiled for us on the thumbnail, but I'm yeah. interested to see how that story goes. Now, what do you think? Will her impact upon return be the same as CM Punk's impact upon return. Oh, absolutely. Which we did not mention. In fact, at all even more. Even I think more. I think that Tori Wilson coming back is even bigger than CM Punk coming e- back to wrestling. Yeah, everyone knows about the <laughs> May third, ninety nine. Yeah, Nitro. It's oh man, we didn't talk about CM Punk at all. Oh, what a time! Well, and what a great night that was. Oh my god! And I'm pretty sure that David Flair was with Tori Wilson, so it's bound to be an action packed episode. Oh, well. Who needs Becky Lynch and CM Punk returning in the same weekend when you've got David Flair and Tori Wilson in 1999? Who needs it? I'm with you. (laughs) Tune in next time for that gem. (laughs) 